Mrs. James' tortured body was discovered by her former husband about midday on June the 18th, 1980. Someone would almost certainly have seen him uh, covered in blood or perhaps when he's returned uh, home or wherever he's gone to. He had blood on one side of his face and one of his sleeves was rolled up and he had blood on that arm. I'm Rachel Brown and this is Trace, an investigation into the 1980 murder of Maria James. Maria's son Mark is convinced her murder was related to the sexual abuse his brother Adam suffered at the hands of local parish priest, Father Bongiorno. Despite compelling evidence, the police completely ruled out Father Bongiorno and haven't told us why. It seemed the investigation had hit another dead end. But Adam had something else he'd kept secret all these years, something that could finally unlock this case. In this episode, we talk with more survivors of sexual abuse. So I want to mention a support number straight up, in case anything comes up while listening to this episode. Lifeline's number is 13 11 14. These people are supposed to be representing God, not, not going around doing monstrous, evil things. I still suspect he had something to do with my mum's murder. During one of my visits to see the James brothers, Adam is wearing a brown and white bomber jacket from Disneyland. He wears it often. The jacket's important to him because he once visited that theme park with his mum. Adam is 48, with a great sense of humour. He shows me a Superman cape he's just bought. It lights up. Ask Adam who he thinks killed his mum, and his answer is not Father Bongiorno. It could have been the other man who was working with him. He's talking about Father Thomas O'Keefe, a different priest, but perhaps he could have had the same motive. There's a photo of one of the young James brothers at his confirmation ceremony. He kneels at the altar with Maria standing behind him, her hand on his shoulder, as the parish priest, Father O'Keefe, looks on. You can see it on our website. Fast forward to June 1980, and Adam has been in the care of Father Bongiorno. Father Bongiorno has abused this trust and has sexually assaulted him in the priest's quarters. Father Bongiorno leaves and Adam says a short time afterwards, Father O'Keefe appears and walks him over to a table just near the altar. The church is empty. Father O'Keefe asks Adam if he remembers his communion. Of course he does. He's nervous as he speaks with the priest. Um, yeah. Um, and he said to me, I want you to come and stand near the altar and look around. I'm going to do something. And I said, what do you mean? And he didn't say anything. So I was standing there and he put his hand down my pants and... Adam says he was assaulted twice on the same day by two men he was supposed to be able to trust. I said to him, what? I want you to stop. I'm asking to stop. And he didn't stop. <sighs> And it made me feel as though there was kind of uh, 
musical chair or pass the parcel thing with Adam where, where this small gang of bad priests, you know, would prey on these victims like Adam, prey, prey on people particularly with disabilities that are less likely to speak up. Adam James never told his mum about Father O'Keefe, only about Father Bongiorno. Ronnie Dawes, the veteran detective who took Adam's statement about Father Bongiorno in 2013, isn't surprised Adam didn't also mention Father O'Keefe at the time. I think it was a very big thing for him to come forward in the first place. He was embarrassed, he was nervous. He came with a social worker and Mark, and we did it at the Roval Police Station. It took some time to get the details from him in relation to Bongiorno. And I don't think he was probably prepared to talk about the whole Catholic Church or the priests that were there. Adam tried to tell police about Father O'Keefe early last year, but Mark says police treated this with a kind of cool scepticism. Well, the, the reaction I had was, well, it's been noted, but look, first of all, you said it was Father Bongiorno. Now you're saying it's Father Bongiorno and Father O'Keefe. Do you want us to dig up everyone? Which was quite unusual because Victoria Police in the past have, have been absolutely excellent with Mum's case. They've left no stone unturned. But, but this particular reaction I got was a bit unusual when compared to the past. It's almost like it was in the too hard basket. They didn't want to spend any more money. They didn't have any more money. They didn't want to do anything about it. And that's the feeling I had. Maybe the officer doubted Adam. Or maybe she was just busy. Mark worries people often underestimate his younger brother because of his cerebral palsy and Tourette's. But Mark says, if anything, Adam's memory is often sharper than his. I've seen glimpses of this. When he learns I barrack for Essendon in the AFL, he raves about a 1986 final he saw with his dad. He says Mick Conlon from his beloved Fitzroy kicked the winning goal in the dying seconds. Yep, his memory is sharp. While parishioners remember Father Bongiorno's big personality, church records show he was in fact the assistant priest, while Father O'Keefe was the parish priest from 1978 to 1984. I was actually scared of him as a young boy. He was the cold, silent one who sat in the background and he was very methodical with the ritual. Whereas Father Bongiorno superficially came across as a more friendly priest. He, he was the PR priest. So I start investigating Father O'Keefe's background. And this is where the investigation gets really twisted. And to be honest, I'm still not sure what to make of the allegations you're about to hear. I'm just going to lay out the evidence and you can make up your own mind. While researching Father O'Keefe, I stumble across a blog and there's an article written by someone who says he was abused by him. He writes, O'Keefe sat next to me and began to fondle me. I focused on the trees through the window and lost awareness of everything else I had dissociated. But along with this description of abuse, the victim claims that Father O'Keefe introduced him to a cult in which he witnessed people being murdered during rituals. The first was a young man who was clearly drugged. On another occasion, a teenage girl was drugged sufficiently well to show no awareness of her position or fate. I don't know what to think of this. 
and it's hard to corroborate online. If this was true, there would surely be newspaper articles, mentions in the Royal Commission, that kind of thing. So I head to the Victorian State Library and dig into the microfilm. Move the roller yep. between the plates of glass. Give it another little loop and into the slot there. Yeah. Yep. It's like and, a sewing and there they are, in black and white. Articles in all three of Melbourne's major newspapers from May 2006. Melbourne's Catholic Church has paid $33,000 to a man who says he was abused by a Melbourne priest who took part in satanic rituals in which people were killed. The independent sexual abuse investigator for the Melbourne Archdiocese, Barrister Peter O'Callaghan QC, substantially accepted the victim's claim. I have no reason or justification for doubting his credibility, Mr O'Callaghan said. As I walk out of the library, all I can think is I've got to find this guy. And after a long search, I track him down. We chat over emails for a few months before I finally meet James Shanahan. My uh, mother signed me up to become an altar boy at the parish church and O'Keefe was the curate, and, uh, which is the assistant priest there. James is 67 years old. He's wearing a chequered flannelette shirt and he angles his left side towards me because that's his better ear. He's polite but guarded. He says Father O'Keefe's abuse started in the early 1960s, when James was just 11 years old. He first met the priest at Sandringham's Sacred Heart Parish. Father O'Keefe later became a chaplain at James's Christian Brothers School in East St Kilda. O'Keefe came to my classroom and uh, took me out of it, and uh, it was for the purpose of sex education. So we went into the brothers' residential quarters, into a very large room. He started to fondle me at that point, and I remember dissociating almost straight away. I remember looking out the window, so very bright sunlight, and I just focused on that, and that's, mentally, that's where I went. The abuse would go on for three years. I think it was Tuesdays, it was once a week he'd be there. And the arrangement was he'd drive me home. And, uh, and we stopped along the way and he would abuse me. The priest even abused him in his own home. And the type of abuse grew darker. James says he was inducted into a kind of cult. It's usually, it happens from very early childhood. I had traumatic home life, so I wanted to dissociate. I'd be a good candidate to draw into the cult. He says he was present at cult rituals that took place in a house beside the Sandringham Parish. He says that house is long gone. There was also another location. He suspects it might have been in Dandenong. He says while other children were sometimes present, he was the only one that participated in the rituals. During them, there was a group of men. Most wore full robes with hoods over their heads. At the time, he didn't recognise anyone except for Father O'Keefe. Later, he identified another pedophile priest, the notorious Father Kevin O'Donnell, as central to the events. Father O'Donnell died in 1997. At these events, James says he saw four people murdered. 
James can recount these events vividly, involving drinking blood and other rituals. But I've decided to spare you any more of the details. They're really gruesome. I tell James people probably won't believe him. Have you ever considered that they might not be real, these memories? You don't want to believe it's real. I remember remarking to a, a lawyer and saying, you know, I find it hard to believe too. And he was kind of shocked. And I think he thought I was... I wasn't sure whether it was true or not. It was certainly true, but it's, it's so surreal against everyday waking life. I don't immediately accept it as fact, and you might have some trouble too, but bear with me, because it hasn't been rejected out of hand by those I expected would dismiss it. James says he was convinced to go public with his story after a priest was convicted in the US for the ritualistic murder of a nun. You might think the church would be quick to cast doubt on allegations like these, but that's not what happened. A commissioner appointed by the church to investigate allegations of child sexual abuse wrote a letter to James's lawyers in 2000. This is a reading of that letter. James was a victim of sexual abuse by Father Thomas O'Keefe, substantially in the circumstances described by Mr Shanahan. I confirm that the events which Mr Shanahan describes are extraordinary, but I have no reason or justification for doubting his credibility. This commissioner, Peter O'Callaghan QC, met with James. A transcript of that meeting reads, What you relate is a series of criminal offences, but it doesn't appear that anyone has ever been apprehended for these offences or will be. What I will do is to indicate that I am satisfied that you are the victim of sexual abuse. I see no reason why I shouldn't accept what you say, and it's certainly supported by what you've told a number of other people over many years. Amazing as it is, I accept it. I tried to contact Peter O'Callaghan for this series. After all, he's the independent commissioner for the church's abuse system. He was the one who had substantially accepted James's claims of sexual abuse, murder and ritualistic cult practices back in October of 2000. The QC never agreed to speak with me on the record, but I can confirm that he and the Melbourne Archdiocese continue to uphold the view that was arrived at over 17 years ago. James Shanahan was a victim of sexual abuse, substantially in the circumstances described by him. In 2000, Peter O'Callaghan QC determined James should be paid compensation. Now, I'm not sure if the most exceptional thing here is the allegations of sexual abuse and ritualistic killings involving a Melbourne priest, or that the Catholic Church has admitted in writing that these claims are substantially true an institution which has been accused of sweeping crimes under the rug for decades. Um, well, it's an unusual call. It's not the sort of thing you get every day. Max Chavon is the police officer who took the call from James. He no longer works for Victoria Police, but he remembers filing an information report on the matter. He admits some colleagues wouldn't have wasted their time with this, over 35 years had passed before James went to the police. So the investigation's handicapped from the start. Evidence is lost, people's memories cloud, people move state. Also, he says some cops would dismiss such callers as having a few screws loose. 
But Max decided he'd look into James's claims. He spent time chasing leads. Again, he could have dismissed this outright as fanciful and invented, but he didn't. I had no reason to disbelieve what he said. And there were no matches against Victoria Police homicide and missing persons records. So the search was abandoned. So that raises some big questions for me about James's story. How can four people be murdered in a series of cult rituals and no one raises an alarm when they drop off the grid? But Max says people can slip through the cracks. If you're born into a... Uh, a cult, depending on where it is, if it's out in a regional area and babies are born in those societies and situations and they're not registered, yeah, it's possible. As for other people, there's always people that go missing and we've all heard stories over the, the last 15 or 20 years about different sadistic and violent trends that have occurred over various periods of time in, through the church or through schools or through other institutions. So that doesn't surprise me. I think it was times were very different back then and people perhaps don't want to believe just because of the bizarre nature of it and the violent nature of it. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. So here's the thing about James's story. The church appointed commissioner, the police, they both took him seriously. I even spoke to James's psychiatrist to see if she had any sense that he was either imagining this or lying. She tells me she has no doubt James was sexually, sadistically and ritually abused by a pedophile priest group. She completed a detailed report for the Catholic Church and James's abuse claims have also been tendered to the current Royal Commission. James walks with a slight limp, so his psychiatrist even looked into this and a physician verified certain nerve injuries that match with his account of abuse. Something happened to James, something that's affected his entire life. He started university twice, couldn't keep going, got married three times, abused alcohol, got into pub fights, thought about suicide, all the unhealthy escapes. Now he builds sports cars. It's one of his only passions. Well, first thing, it's got wheels. Um, so it moves, and I like things that move. Um, for years I wouldn't buy a house because it wouldn't move. Um, there's no safety in a house for me. Safety is being able to move. When I got away from O'Keefe, it was because I could get on my bike. With no other witnesses or evidence, it's hard to reach any conclusions about these allegations of rituals and murders. But there's plenty of other evidence from different people parishes and decades that supports what James says about Father O'Keefe being a serial and violent pedophile. As well as Adam James and James Shanahan, I know of six others who've made allegations against Father O'Keefe, ranging from grooming to brutal rape. One victim has been referred to a psychiatric centre for assessment in recent years. And he alleges that um Father O'Keefe sexually assaulted him on a number of occasions. The victim's lawyer is Viv Waller. My client alleges at various times that um, Father O'Keefe told him that he was special um, and that if he, dis if he disclosed the abuse to anybody, he would cease to be special and that he would go to hell. 
I meet another victim in a car park. He doesn't want to be identified, so let's call him Dave. This is a reading of our chat. On occasion, I heard him talk about how it would be possible to have relationships with a dead person, even a dead male. One minute, you'd be in the back of the presbytery and you'd be talking about anal sex and necrophilia. And then the next minute, they'd be talking about don't stone a lady to death, of adultery and that type of thing. So, so even as a child, I knew there was very conflicting views being given to me or shown to me. Dave became an altar boy for Father O'Keefe at eight years old at the Holy Family Parish Church in Doveton, southeast of Melbourne. I didn't even know what sex was. Bloody was a swear word. Father O'Keefe would go on to abuse Dave. Think of the worst things you can. They probably happened. As it went on and on, of course, you're getting a sense that, yeah, probably this isn't going to stop. That stage, you're just hoping, I'm not going to be at the school forever. Doveton would go on to become a dumping ground for pedophile priests, three in a row after Thomas O'Keefe. I hated school. I hated going there. I wish the damn place had burnt down so I could have gone to a real school where there wasn't any priests. Like James Shanahan, Dave would disassociate during the abuse. He remembers being home again, but not how he got there. Surprisingly enough, disassociation is a skill that stays with you. He's broken bones in the past and not felt all that much. His mind has somehow found a way to file away pain. There are plenty more details I won't go into about all the abuse these men say Father O'Keefe subjected them to. Similar patterns of abuse, sometimes identical, over two decades. Father O'Keefe was never brought before the courts. He had heart problems and died in 1984. As far as I can tell, no victims came forward before then, but it's enough to say here that Father O'Keefe has a terrifying reputation. And remember, he lived across the road from Maria, Adam and Mark in Thornbury when Maria was killed. So that second empty warm mug on Maria's kitchen table the day she was murdered, what if it was Father O'Keefe's? What if, when she called the parish about Adam's abuse allegation, it was Father O'Keefe who responded, instead of Father Bongiorno? Or maybe they came to Maria's bookshop together. In speaking with Father O'Keefe's victims, two clear themes emerged, that he was perverted and dangerous. Dave says Father O'Keefe was prone to unreasonable force in reasonable situations. Once he saw Father O'Keefe guard the takings from a parish fate with a rifle. Another time, Dave says Father O'Keefe thought a revolver might be the answer to noisy kids outside his church. When we were altar boys, he brought a revolver with him in case the people that were riding their bikes around the church on Saturday at service time came back again. He was going to go and confront them. And, you know, you would have thought, you know, that's a bit of an overreaction, but of course he was the priest. He could talk to God, so he figured it'd all be squared away no matter what he did. He'd just have a word with the big fella and it'd all be sorted. And James Shanahan has a scarier story. Father O'Keefe threatened to kill him when he was in his own family home. He's trying to molest me and I'm fighting him off. And uh, he turns around and stomps out of the room. And I, I thought I had a reprieve. But he came back in, he'd obviously gone to the kitchen, he got the carving knife. 
They threatened me with it. Remember, when Maria was murdered in her home, Ronidal says it was spontaneous, and the weapon was something the killer found close by. And we know that the knife came from a stacia knife block within um, the kitchen. He raped me and he threatened to run me through with his carving knife. He, he was out of his mind with rage. I'd never seen him anywhere near that, actually. But he, he was just... This is James was demonic. That's not all. James has this memory from the rituals. I've got this one picture of my wrists being bound with cord or a rope. Maria's killer bound her wrists. It's a bizarre killing where the woman was tied uh, by her hands. It was very violent towards me and... uh, I was in fear for my life. One, and another thing was that he'd threatened to kill my mother as well. While the Catholic Church has accepted Thomas O'Keefe was a child abuser, I want to stress, this doesn't mean he killed Maria James. It might just be a coincidence that a man with this kind of reputation is being accused of abusing Maria's son. We have no evidence he was at the crime scene but someone did spot a man we believe was him close by. Remember Alan Herco, the electrician from last episode, who says he saw Father Buongiorno covered in blood? Well, before all that happened, about 15 minutes earlier, he says he saw another man at the presbytery door. Here's how Alan describes him. I assume he was a priest. He had the black trousers on. He had a flannelette shirt on with the braces over the flannelette shirt. And he was an Australian, uh, looked a bit like uh, John Kane, the Premier. At the State Library, in a book on the history of St Mary's Parish, there's a grainy photo of Father Thomas O'Keefe. I compare it to a picture of John Kane Jr., Victoria's Premier for most of the 1980s. And I should point out, I'm certainly not suggesting Mr Kane had anything to do with these events. But you know, the photos, they're not that dissimilar. This photo's online. Have a look and see what you think. As far as I know, the police have never looked into Father O'Keefe as a possible suspect in the murder of Maria James. And his DNA has never been tested against the blood of a male found at the scene. Could this priest, around whom swelled whispered rumours of necrophilia and ritual killings, be Maria's killer? We believe that he's possibly a... uh person who's uh, somewhat a sexual maniac. If someone's going to inflict something in a psychosexual sort of nature, then they'll go for structures like the breast, but often will go for face. Should the coroner reopen the case? That's next episode on Trace. And we still need your help. We'd like to hear from anyone who can offer more information on Father O'Keefe. And we're still trying to find out who the parish housekeeper was in 1980. Email us at trace at abc.net.au with any tips about this case. And you can follow the investigation on our website, abc.net.au forward slash trace. If this story has raised concerns for you or someone you know, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36.